Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. It is so good to be with you as always, and today is a special day, and I'm honored, beyond honored, uh, to be ordained today. Adam asked me just to share what's on my heart this morning, not not a formal sermon, but just a few things that are on my heart. And uh, But first, I just want to say, never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine that I would be a pastor when I was invited onto staff here at Church of the Well five and a half years ago. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> But I think that that's exactly where God wanted me to be, Uh, serving his people not out of a place of expertise, but out of a place of utter dependence on him. And he has showed up over and over and over again. And I feel like I've been given a front row seat to his glory. Um, It has not all been easy, uh, but it has been extremely good. So all of this is to say thank you for, for letting me walk with you for letting me pastor you alongside my brothers. Thank you to my, my, uh, my brothers, um, Adam and Eve and Ian, who have made space for me and have called out my giftings and, um, and all the others as well who have done the same. And just thank you for your grace as I continue to learn how to pastor well. So here's what's, uh, what I want to share from my heart. I have three things that I want to share. And the first is this. I long for people to long for God. You know, we get what we long for in the way that God does things in his economy. That's what we get. We get what we want. Isn't that good news? If we want him, we get him. And if we don't want him, we don't have to have him. It's as simple as that. But here's the thing. There's really no other way to find God, to know God, to have God in our lives. We don't get him simply because we come to the church or we say the right thing or we sing the right songs or we choose to live moral lives. We only get him if we actually want him. Um, When a blind beggar named Bartimaeus approached Jesus, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? You think it would be obvious, and in a way it was, right? The man wanted Jesus to heal him. It's obvious, but still, Jesus asks him this question because Jesus wants to straighten out a matter of great importance. What, in fact, did this man desire? What do we desire Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. We don't stop seeking when we come to Christ. We just continue seeking. Knock and the door will be opened. Um, I believe that at, at its essence, longing is a homing mechanism that draws us to God. But, you know, there's so much in our world that would snuff out our longing for him or numb it or hijack it. And three of those things that I see that I that I feel passionate about, that I want to subvert, um, is one nominalism, which is just religion that's empty ritual, religion that's an end of in and of itself. It's checking off a box to say that you've gone to church. The second one is what I'll just call ticket to heaven Christianity, transactional faith, where the name of Jesus is more or less a password to get into heaven. And once you have that password, there's really not much left to do besides wait or maybe tell a few other people about it. And the third is political ideology, not political involvement, which is healthy and good, but political ideology, where longing for God becomes replaced by, confused with, the success of a particular political agenda, as if God and that political agenda are one and the same. 
Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I believe that longing for God leads to having a life that is full. May God, in his mercy, disillusion us of those things that would snag or diminish or misdirect our longing for him. And my heart is that the church would be a place where longing for God is awakened, where it's deepened. Because where people long for God, there he will surely be. One of the ways uh, that I believe God awakens our longing for him is through beauty. Uh, I'm sharing some some paintings um, by a woman by the name of Bernadette Lopez, a French artist. Um, Beauty. And this is the second thing that I want to share from my heart this morning. I long for the church to become reacquainted with beauty. You see, I believe we cannot encounter genuine beauty and remain the same. Beauty changes us. At its core, it's good, it's honest, it's true. And so naturally, it confronts what is ugly in us. It unravels what is false in us and in our world. It subverts skepticism. It points to the ultimate victory of light over darkness. And in doing so, in a sense, beauty is inherently prophetic. It is inherently prophetic because it is a taste of what is to come. So we witness every day of our lives, we witness the prophetic voice of beauty all around us in creation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. And so I wonder, how can the church collaborate with God in celebrating creation, protecting creation, and curating encounter with God in creation? Jesus gives us a picture of that on the Sermon on the Mount. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers us a a surprising but really powerful antidote to worry and to anxiety. He says simply, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. Consider the lilies of the field, he says. Not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. Do we believe that? Solomon, we know, is fabulously wealthy, and yet the asters, the goldenrod, the wild geraniums, they are far more exquisite than Solomon's royal garments ever were. So if Jesus taught his disciples, consider the lilies, what might it look like for the church to help people to do the same? So I believe God is using the prophetic voice of beauty and creation to waken people's longing for him. And I also believe that he's using the prophetic voice of beauty in art made by human hands. And God working through art is not a new thing. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Exodus, where the Holy Spirit fills a man named Bezalel, who is a craftsman in fine metals, and creates adornment for the tabernacle. And later in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit fill King David to write songs and poems and prayers that we still read and sing and worship with today. And of course, these are the Psalms. And so I wonder how might God want to fill us here at Church at the Well and his church at large? How might he want to fill us with his spirit to create art and to engage our God-breathed creativity and to use our call to creativity to waken hearts to him? You know, so many of us live the lie that we're not creative 
And yet we will acknowledge um, as believers we're made in the image of an exquisitely creative God, which means that actually we are in our own way each exquisitely creative. And I believe we, we're called to honor that creativity in ourselves and in others. And I long to see people released into their God-breathed identity as creatives. And uh, that's every one of us, the problem solver, the computer programmer, the parent, the teacher, the baker, the florist, the counselor, the humorist, the mechanic, the paraeducator. I'd love to share just a brief story with you about how God did that in my own life. I always, I've always enjoyed writing poetry. Many of you know that. Um, my first memory of writing was not writing prose. It was of writing poetry. And my first memory of playing with and typing on my mother's electric typewriter was typing a poem. Um, I had the honor of publishing a few poems early on. In high school, if you had asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say I wanted to be a poet. At 16, I came into a personal relationship with Christ. And around the same time, I began to notice that people were responding quite warmly to my poetry. Some people, it seemed, really actually liked it. But there was a problem. The problem was I liked that they liked it, and that bothered me. I liked that they liked my poetry, and that bothered me. And I began to question my motives for writing. Was I writing poems to impress people or to court people's praise? Was writing poetry, had it become a form of vanity for me? As a new Christian, I didn't know what to do with these questions, and I didn't have any models in my church of people who were artists and people of faith who could lead me through those tensions and help me to navigate them well. Now, I knew I wanted to honor God. I knew I wanted to live for God, and it seemed like maybe the best thing to do would be just to play it safe and avoid the possible pitfalls of writing poetry altogether. And so for 10 years, I didn't write any poems. Fast forward a decade. I came to Vermont for a month one summer before I moved here or knew that I was going to move here. I came here for a month, uh, right here to Burlington, and uh, I wanted to recover from, from way too much city life for me. I was living in Boston. Recover from graduate school, the rigors of graduate school, but more the, the sort of loss of my identity in, in grad school. Who, who was I after grad school? Um, I felt like, well, I knew that I was a follower of Christ, but I felt like I didn't really know much more about who I was. Um, did I want to be the person grad school was making me to be, or was I somebody else? And I felt God's permission, and even this little kind of nudge to write poetry. And that month in Vermont, I spent my days reading poetry in the Fletcher Free uh, Library, and then in the evenings, I would go down to the lakefront, I'd watch the sunset, I would spend hours writing, trying to write poetry, trying to find my poetic voice, and by God's grace, I did, I found my poetic voice again. And I came to a deep realization, and this is it, since God gave me the gift of poetry, not to write would be to dishonor him. I believe that's true with all of our giftings. When, when God gives us a gift and he gives us a permission to use it, the opportunity to use it, not to. We have to consider that. Would that dishonor him, even if we don't know how to use it perfectly? And so now a big part of my heart as a pastor is to help release others into their God-given gifts of creativity and into their God-given identity as creatives made in the image of a creator God. So the last thing I want to share that's on my heart this morning is this. I desire to bear witness to a pilgrim way. 
We live in a world that is constantly making and remaking us in its image. Every, anyone ever experienced that, that tug of the world that's making you in its image, and you know that God uh, has another image for you, right? We're challenged to achieve worldly excess, success. The world wants to groom us to seek status, maybe by earning degrees or job titles or buying fancy homes or buying fancy things. We're groomed by the world to become consumers, to make money, not just to make money in order to give and bless and heal, which we could do with our money, right? But to live lives of ease and maybe even to come out on top in the comparison game. In short, I think that the modern Western world's gospel is this, three words, I must increase. I think that's the gospel of the modern Western world, I must increase. But here's the gospel according to John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. God calls us to a wholly different way. And Jesus put it this way, whoever is the least among you, Whoever is the least among you, among us in this room, that person is the greatest. A few years ago, God gave me a gift. And the gift was one word, and it was the word pilgrim. He showed me that I'm a pilgrim. You know, we're called in Hebrews to be strangers and pilgrims. Uh, And here's a picture of perhaps the first pilgrim, Abraham. Uh, Hebrews tells us, by faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You know, it's not easy to live an unconventional life. And I, I have to say, I have a lot of experience navigating the self-questioning and the doubt that comes with an unconventional life. For years, I asked myself, is it okay that I'm in my mid-30s and I'm, I'm not married? I'm in my late 30s. I'm in my early 40s. I'm in my mid-40s and I'm not married. And is it okay that I'm like not really necessarily seeking to be married? Is it okay that I don't own a house? Uh, it seems like everyone my age does. Is it okay that I, I rent a room? Uh, that most of my things you know, fit in that room? Is it okay that I'm not capitalizing on my hard-won academic degrees? Is it okay that I, I'm doing a job that um, is not... Is not cashing in on those degrees is actually pretty much unrelated to those degrees. And the answer from God was a resounding yes. It was yes, 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 yes. And the yes came in the word pilgrim. A pilgrim is what I had been all along. He was simply naming it for me. And this was, has really become a key to my understanding of my calling. And with that one word, God gave me the permission that I needed to fully embrace the unique path that he put me on, and no longer to doubt it. In a way, we are all pilgrims, aren't we? You may not be called to the same path that I'm called to, but we who follow Christ, we are all called to be strangers and pilgrims in this world, seeking the world to come, bearing witness to the reality of that world, not just with our words, but with our lives. 
And as a pastor, I want to say not just with my words, but with my life that this is possible. It's possible to step away from the plans the world has for you and to walk in the plans that God has for you. It's not only possible, it's beautiful. It's joyful. It is freeing and it is good. Let me ask you, how are you called to be a pilgrim in this world? Will you also bear witness to a pilgrim way? I just want to close with a blessing that I'd like to just pray over, over us, over the church. Good and beautiful God, may your beauty be on display in our lives, in all we do, and in your church, for the glory of God and the redemption of the world. May you remove everything that hinders us from the longing you have put in our hearts to know the love and mystery and salvation of our good creator, redeemer. And finally, may you give us the courage and freedom to walk in and to bear witness to a pilgrim way, filling us with the joy of Jesus who walked this way first. Amen. listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.